Hey, it's Alan Carter. Here's what's on the podcast today. Reasons to celebrate from both Doug Ford and Justin Trudeau. We're going to take a look at the realities of the gig economy and what does it really mean to be a delivery worker in the city of Toronto in this pandemic and Bitcoin through the roof. What's going on there and why is Elon Musk involved? Let's get to it. How you doing? How you feeling? Oh my goodness, there's so many reasons to celebrate today. I feel good. You know why? Because the end is nigh. The end. was talking about it. (laughs) Thank you, Doug Ford. The end is nigh. (laughs) I sound like I'm a ranting guy with one of those, you know, billboards down at Young Dundas Square. But the end that I'm talking about is the end of the lockdown. Yes! That is chills talking about it. Thank you, Doug Ford. Getting chills just talking about it. How's about this for giving you some chills? Just 1,022 new cases of COVID 19 in the past 24 hours in the province of Ontario. I always say don't freak out about the numbers, so don't exactly go outside and pop the champagne. But again, another great number showing a downward trend. And holy smokes, do I ever feel heard? I just, you know, I'm on here fairly regularly on this radio program talking about this weird communication style that the Ford government has when it it communicates with us. And there is just so much to celebrate from yesterday's press conference. And I want to take you through some of the things that I think that the Ford government has really you know, learn some lessons from it. I, I think it's great news. But before we get to that, can, can we just have a moment for this? My buddy Brendan Shanahan, he's tight as skin on a grape. What? <laughs> that is Doug Ford yesterday speaking about the president of the Toronto Maple Leafs, who he refers to as tight as skin on a grape. I'm getting chills talking about it. Brendan Shanahan, tight as skin on a grape. The, 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 the Premier was talking about a, a mask that someone had sent him with the uh, Leafs logo on it. And, you know, it wasn't just the homespun Bon Mots, because there's always some good comedy with that. But we also actually had an announcement yesterday with dates attached. Several um, regions lifting out of the stay-at-home order as of tomorrow, next Tuesday, the majority of the province, the week after that, it's expected that Toronto, Peel, uh, and York will also come out of the stay-at-home order or, you know, the modified lockdowns. It's very complicated. Essentially, we go back into a lockdown which will be eased eased restrictions from where we were. It really, it's enough to make your head spin. But the key here is there was no cliffhanger. There was no Fonzie jumping over a pool full of sharks. Or as Andrea Horvath said, no treating it like it's a game show with come on back later for another DOFO show where we'll actually give you the details. We actually had the details. We actually had the dates. And I think we're all thankful for that, that the Ford government hopefully has put that habit aside so we had you know no cliffhanger we just had a few really weird endorsements oh yeah i gotta give timmy's a good plug the best thing you guys ever did is make those real egg sandwiches what in the world are you talking about i'm getting chills talking about it you're getting all worked up because of an egg sandwich i tweeted that out yesterday and i just straight up tweeted out the clip just the quote and people were all over me on twitter it's like he's just having some fun leave him alone i'm like well i'm not being critical it was just kind of a 
odd thing to go with the full endorsement for Timmy's right there, the full-throated Timmy's endorsement. I mean, it. You know, I. I I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna, you know, pick at that. But it does kind of stick out, doesn't it? The the premier's like support the little guy. You know, make sure you give your business not to the big chains. Don't order it from Amazon. You know, support small business. And meanwhile, the big box stores are opened. And how about that Timmy egg sandwich? Oh yeah, I gotta mm. give Timmy's a good plug. The best thing you guys ever did is make those real egg sandwiches. Are you uh, seriously? Do you not know that that's owned by a Brazilian hedge fund? Nevertheless, I, I, I'm, I, you know, I understand it's a, it's a common thing. People love the Tim Hortons, and it's, it's that Tim Hortons nationalism that we sometimes do here. You know, politicians love to do this. Then you know, like they love to go and you know have themselves filmed and videotaped meeting with regular people at a Tim Hortons because that's what regular people do. And so you, you don't wrap yourself in, in the flag. You wrap yourself in a, in a crueler is what you do. You just. You just immerse yourself in a double double, and that's how. Jill's talking about. Thank you, thank you. Now there were some bit some bumps in the announcement yesterday. It wasn't all good. Uh, speaking of bumps, how about the moguls? What is going on with skills? Nobody could seem to figure that all out yesterday. I think it was four email, four separate email that the province had to send out, the premier's office had to send out to try and explain what in the world it, are ski hills going to be able to open once we go into this modified gray puce, whatever in the world it is. Is Well, turns out, I know you're, you're waiting for it. I know. You're like, oh, I got, I got my gear. What is it? Yes, they can open. They can open. And so Blue Mountain, coming up later in the program, we're going to uh, uh, talk to the marketing director uh, of from Blue about what's going on. But Blue will be able to open once they go into the modified gray, which would be next Tuesday. So thank you. Oh, I really want to go snowboarding. No lessons, by the way. No lessons, but uh, you will be able to open. So that that was a bit of a bump, and there are some you know murky things about. I mean, what are the metrics in terms of closing back down? And and we don't have a lot of those details. But I'm not here to quibble. <laughs> I'm here to celebrate what we heard yesterday and celebrate what we're seeing with the numbers because that's that's good stuff. Uh, speaking of uh, numbers, I mentioned the four email. How about this number? Six. Not five. Six, not five. That is the key number that you need to know today, the number six. Today's program brought to you by the number six. Because it just turns out now that Health Canada has approved that we can now get six doses out of a vial of Pfizer vaccine instead of five. Pfizer! So now we're going to have to do math and divide by six. That's not going to be good. But you know what this is? It's the vaccine, or pardon me, the vaccine equivalent of bag fries is really what it is. You're like, well... I that, continue that, to be puzzled. That that meal's all done, and then you reach down to the bag, and you're like, oh, there's some extra bag fries down here in the bottom. Oh, that's so good. So that's what your sixth dose is. Six, not five. All right, what else is up there, JT? Justin Trudeau out front of the cozy cottage in our last hour. Let's see. How did he make news? What did he say? Well, we got this one. If you got federal benefits like CERB and made less than 75K, you will not have to pay interest 
on 2020 tax debt until April 2022, essentially on various kinds of income. If you owe money, you will not pay interest on owing the money if you can't pay it for your tax filing this year. It's deferred for a year. Uh, What else did we hear? We heard that beginning on February the 15th, if you return to Canada through a land border, you're going to need a 72-hour PCR test, just like air travel. You're going to have to be able to prove that you've had a negative test before you come into the country, although you will be able to come into the country even though if you don't have a test, but you get a fine, but then people will follow you and they'll come to your home and so on and so forth. Essentially what the government is trying to do here is trying to you know, close the Swiss cheese at our borders. They've tried to do that at the airports. We still don't have that completely in place yet where you have to stay in a hotel for three days at your own expense. That's not done yet. It's still coming, and now they're trying to put that in place at the borders, and I think you can be critical of all of that. But here's what I took away. Man, this is good stuff. Here's what I took away from today. Not only six, not five, but good news on vaccine shipments. Go, JT! I can tell you we are still very much on track for tens of millions of doses into the spring and for everyone who wants to be vaccinated, vaccinated by September. You know what that does? That gives me chills. Just even thinking about it gives me chills. Mm. I'm getting chills talking about it. Thank you, Doug. That is good news. And once again, the government doubling down. saying, look, what we've said all along, there were going to be bumps in the... Uh, roll out, and there were going to be distribution problems and supply chain problems, and but eventually we're going to get them, and we're going to get them, and they're going to really ramp up in the next week. I've got some details on the numbers coming up a little later on in the program, but once again, there it is, that key promise from the Prime Minister. If you want a shot, you will be able to get one by the end of September. Does that... Does that make you feel good? you got the numbers going down. you got the vaccines coming in. Obviously, there's concerns. You're looking across the border, and you're like, oh, how many millions of people have you vaccinated south of the border? Okay, September, eh? So we're still waiting for September. Oh, one other thing I wanted to mention that Justin Trudeau was actually asked about that reopening plan that was announced here in the province of Ontario yesterday. Here's what he had to say. Here is Justin Trudeau. Quote, we are all concerned with variants. While we're vaccinating, we need public health measures, including rapid tests and contract tracing. Uh, Quote, we're going to need to be extremely nimble in the reality with the new variants. Here's what I want to tell you about the reopening plan, what it has in there. It has something called the emergency break, and that is key to the planning for Ontario going forward. And you've seen this really celebrated by the what I call the Greek chorus, all the doctors that comment on uh, the plans by the Ford government. Some of them have said, "I doesn't." Some of these things don't make sense. The numbers don't add up. But obviously, the province is trying to balance economic health and public health, and now it has this emergency break mechanism, and that is where a local public health unit. A local public health officer can say, I think we got the variant here. If you've got some rapid testing, we've seen the variant, it's in here, boom. That area, locked down. Does not have to wait for provincial requirements or provisional, provincial authority. Dr. Williams doesn't have to try and explain what he's talking about before it can happen. It can just happen. The emergency brake, just pull on the brake. Don't make me turn this car around. 
man, I'm getting peckish. You know what? I, I think I'm just going to sit down here on the couch. I'm going to wheel out the old smartphone, and it's going to open myself up an app, and then clickety-clickety-clack, and boom, lunch is going to arrive. What's the cost of that? You know, we're all ordering in more, but what are the ramifications of it? For example, the cost of restaurants in delivery fees when they can be as high as 30% in some cases. And when governments try and push back, well, what happens? For example, in British Columbia, Skip the Dishes is now charging customers in B.C. a new fee as that food delivery company pushes back against a provincial order that is capped commissions at 15%. That's a temporary order that has been put in place for the uh, duration of the pandemic. And the company says, no, we're just going to push back and we want to make sure that your service isn't impacted. So therefore, users will be paying more on the front end on the app. Now, what's the cost to workers, those who are on the bicycles or in the cars delivering me my lunch? Well, from Canadian Press, Uber Eats couriers working in this province say they're earning as little as $3.99 per trip before tips. This months after the food delivery service implemented a new pay policy. And just for the record, Ontario's minimum wage is $14.25 an hour. Uber Eats said in a statement to the Canadian press, quote, Uber Eats is committed to transparency and pricing. Before a delivery person accepts a trip, they are able to see the expected earnings for each trip. And as always, 100% of tips go directly into their accounts. That is the statement from Uber Eats in response to the story from Canadian Press about some drivers making as little as $3.99 for trips. My next guest is someone who may have brought you your lunch someday, one day, and she's a delivery cyclist in the city of Toronto. Jennifer Scott joins me. Hi, Jennifer. Hi, how are you? I'm well, thanks. You're also part of an organization called Foodsters United. What is that? Uh, Earlier, uh, later, in 2019, 2018, and into 2020, uh, Foodsters United was a group of Fedora couriers who worked to unionize uh, our workplace at Fedora. Um, And, And, uh, and of course, Fedora left after that and then had to had to pay out a settlement. Uh, that's correct, yeah, that happened. And so now we are an organization working to support, protect, and represent um, gig workers, no matter what apps we work on. What's it been like delivering and working during the pandemic? It's been interesting um, and difficult and challenging. Uh, seeing our pay cut earlier this uh in a pandemic and it happened around like August, September, seeing that happen, looking at our wages slowly going down and down. Um, I know you were referencing the article that came out recently about how low those wages are. On average, when I go to work, I'm seeing orders that are paying me $3 to do a delivery that is maybe 1.2 kilometers uh, distance traveled. And I can also see an order that pays $3 to do a delivery that is 4.5 kilometers distance traveled. 
And so uh, our working conditions have gotten a lot worse and a lot more difficult for us to be able to earn enough money at the end of the day. Your reaction to the statement from Uber that it is all transparent, that you as a delivery person can decide whether or not you want to take that job. You're an independent contractor. That's what they say. Uh, right. And that, uh, you know, the money that you earn in tips is 100% yours. So it's really all up to you. I mean, we rely on tips and no worker should rely on tips to supplement their income. Um, but when it comes down to being a misclassified worker in an industry without any labor protection, um, statements like Uber's statement are a little bit hard to take. Uh, sure, I know upfront that that order will pay me $3. Um, but as someone who is working full-time during a pandemic as an essential worker, should I be working for that little money? And should I have experienced a pandemic pay cut? And should I be relying on the generosity of people in my community to tip me to be able to earn more than a minimum wage? What's the solution here? Uh, many have pointed their fingers at companies like Uber Eats or the other delivery companies and say that they are just, they're creating an underclass of workers who are paid less than the minimum wage and have no benefits. But on the other end, there are consumers who love the convenience and love what they get from these apps. This industry is a necessity. I mean, we, we see that, especially so during the pandemic, but even outside of it, homebound people, folks with children, folks who work a lot, this industry of being able to have things delivered to you is important to our community and to keeping us going. Um, I think that the solution is making changes to it so that it is sustainable, so that it is viable, and so that workers have protection. Um, looking at ways for people to help with that, I would suggest supporting workers who are organizing, um, being aware of the conditions of the workers in your city and, and what support they're asking for, um, you know, placing orders, tipping folks, letting the companies know what changes you want to see them make, um, and supporting workers as they go on to do things like push for legislation or unionize or whatever but else it is. We, we've seen what's that. happened in south of the border, you know, during the election when we saw that proposal uh, in California with, uh, you know, defeated, with basically saying that, you know, you can't. Uh, be seen as an independent contractor. I'm, the, the exact details don't apply here, but does that mean in your estimation that the drive for any kind of unionization, any kind of legislation in this country is, is set back? Of course not. I mean, we won our unionization bid. When we went to the Labor Board as Foodsters United, we had to demonstrate that um, we were dependent contractors and not independent contractors, and we won. And uh, the Uber Black Riders... Uh, who unionized with CWCF had to do the same thing, and they won as well. Um, I think an important lesson that we could take from looking at what happened in California with Prop 22 is that gig economy employers are interested and willing and invested in fighting workers, um, and that workers who have support and solidarity from their communities, from legislators, and from uh, people uh, in industries that are similar uh, can can make successes and win. Jennifer Scott, I really appreciate you coming on and giving your perspective. Thank you so much. And please take care Thank out you there. So much. Thank you. Jennifer, you as well. 
Jennifer Scott is a, a delivery cyclist uh, working in the city of Toronto and is also part of Foodsters United. Oh my goodness, what's going on with Bitcoin? Bitcoin surging again. After Elon Musk said Tesla would soon take payment for its electric vehicles in Bitcoin and revealed that it had already bought $1.5 billion worth of it. And Bitcoin is already up 300% in 2020. Let me just check where it is right now. One Bitcoin equals... 58,909 Canadian dollars. That's where we are right now. All right, what is it? What What is it exactly? Well, Bitcoin is the original and most popular cryptocurrency. It began circulating back in 2009. I'm not going to get that way down to the weeds and about how they make it and mine it and all that stuff because I don't think I anybody tells you they understand it. I'm not certain that they do. But here's what you need to know. It is not tied to assets. It's not tied to gold. There's no government backing it. There's no central authority that oversees it. Its value depends on people's confidence in it. In other words, if you believe it has value and it's worth 58000 Canadian dollars, and I believe it has value, then it has value. To date, it has mainly been used for speculation by financial traders. What does it mean that Tesla might actually be able to let you buy a car with it. To give me some answers about all of this, I am pleased to welcome to the program Carl Scamata, who is Chief Market Strategist at Cambridge Global Payments. Welcome, Carl. Did I get any of that right? Yes. (laughs) It sounded uh, pretty much point on. Uh, This is essentially something driven by perception. Its value is... uh, is hinging on uh, the increasing perception that it's a, a credible asset uh, and it's going to the moon as a result. <laughs> where where do you see this topping out? Is it just going to keep going in, in the short term, up? It's, it's interesting. I think that uh, generally if you look at uh, phenomena like this, uh, financial bubbles like this, uh, they generally top out when the public uh, hears about them. <laughs> so, so when I start talking about it on Global News Radio, it's done. Yes, uh, and, and actually, to, not to put too fine a point on it, but I, I actually did a appearance on uh, CBC uh, two years ago at the very peak, at the literal day that the that Bitcoin peaked last time. So, <laughs> uh, and then it, it you know, dropped it away, and then it dropped away very quickly, didn't it? Yes, it did. Uh, and, and at that time, the idea was that uh, it was gaining institutional adopt, adoption uh, because futures uh, contracts were being indexed against Bitcoin. Uh, that didn't ultimately work out. Um, and, you know, you've seen uh, two years of, of depressed prices since. Uh, we'll get back to Bitcoin and, and the dangers involved for the, you know, for the small-time investor, the so-called bathroom investor, in just a moment. But I, w- I want to talk about Elon Musk. Uh, Musk has gotten himself into trouble before for, you know, talking his own book on Twitter. And in this case, do you not believe that there's a problem here? Because here he is, you know, talking up Bitcoin, and then he's and then it's going up, and he, he's almost leading a surge in it. Yes, uh, no question that uh, this seems to be talking his own book and, and you know, uh, potentially putting investors at risk. And I I think one thing to kind of highlight here is that this is an old playbook. Uh, Many very influential investors have have done this before to manipulate uh, underlying prices. But typically what they do is they buy first, 
and then they tell the world about it. <laughs> um, and there is evidence uh, sort of percolating out right now, suggesting that uh, that you know uh, Tesla did begin purchasing in late December, early January, and uh, now is is articulating this to the world and driving its own holdings higher. Um, so definitely not behavior that the average investor should probably be following. And, and this follows uh, Musk weighing in on the whole GameStop issue. And uh, are you concerned about, you know, how he has uh, this enormous platform? He's on Twitter. I mean, we've taken Donald Trump off Twitter, but here's Elon Musk making pronouncements on Twitter, and it moves the market so significantly. Yes. Uh, you know, I think to some extent, uh, what we have to think about here is that the, the storytellers are in charge right now. Um, so Tesla itself is a story stock. It's, it's something that has an attractive story, but not necessarily the strongest fundamentals in the world. Um, and it has gone to the moon, uh, you know, in recent years and, and given Musk an even bigger platform. And so, you know, I think what we all need to be doing is, is being skeptical of, of the underpinnings of these stories and, and uh, worried about what happens when they do collapse. All right, let's get to that bathroom investor. Um, and I, I take away from that whole GameStop story. One of the things that I really took away from it is, is the number of downloads of Robinhood and Wealthsimple and there's all these other, you know, trading apps and the kind of further gamification of online trading. I, what's your advice to the uh, small investor who might be listening right now or thinking, man, I got to get in on this sweet Bitcoin thing? Yeah, I think the, the big concern is if you are being driven by envy, that is typically a, a bad recipe for long-term investment returns. Um, the other thing is that, you know, Warren Buffett himself said at some point that uh, if investing is entertaining, it, it's going to be bad for you. Um, and so what we should be looking at is the really boring things, the index funds and, you know, the, the very conventional portfolios, because those tend to be, uh, you know, very good in the long run. Uh, they participate in the economy as the economy grows. Um, and, you know, I, I think that they're much more sustainable. Uh, ultimately, the key here is don't expect enormous root, root, uh, returns at any given time. What you're really looking to do in investing, uh, particularly for the younger people who are who are sort of uh, venturing out for the first time is using the power of compounding. So you want long periods of time in which your investments are building up over, uh, you know, building up in value. You want to be boring. Yes. Uh, you know, if you're, we used to say that, you know, if, if uh, an investor is promised a return in excess of 20%, it's almost certainly a Ponzi scheme. Um, and today, you know, anything in excess of 10% is probably... I could pick a, out a 10 scheme. stocks right now that would qualify as Ponzi scheme. Yes. Uh, to There are certain uh, theories suggesting that we kind of are in that period right now where the stock markets are essentially Ponzi schemes. <laughs> uh, certain stocks are, are only rising because they're acquiring new investors. Um, and so that's that's definitely not what you want to be looking for. You want to be looking for those companies that generate great revenues and have long term uh, have really, really promising long term uh, futures ahead of them. Um, so, you know, GameStop is pretty much the exact opposite of that <laughs> at this point in time. I'm speaking with Carl Scamata, who's a chief market strategist at Cambridge Global Payments. And just taking from what you just said about uh, the stocks and the froth and the divorced from fundamentals, uh, and all at the same time that we're going to see economies emerge from COVID, 
which means we're all going to go running out into the streets and start throwing cash into the air. I mean, what's that all mean for the market overall if it's already frothy now and we're just about to start spending like mad? Well, the funny part is that sometimes the markets are really run on the uh, on expectations as opposed to the reality. So what we might be seeing right now is the peak. Um, once we actually are out in the economy and spending our money, firstly, you're going to have fewer people who are bored uh, <laughs> and investing <laughs> in these things. Uh, and, and, you know, like we laugh, but that quite realistically is a big force here. It's the fact that, you know, people are sort of housebound and sitting there looking at their screens uh, that is driving a lot of this behavior. Um, But further, you know, you're going to see a change in what we spend our money on. You're not going to be spending money on tangible goods and, and investing as much of it you're going to be spending more on services and, and hopefully, you know, going to restaurants and, and bars and things like that. So, so does that mean Peloton comes down and those sort of things that we've seen go shooting up over the course of the pandemic? Quite likely, I think that, you know, we're, we're going to see a rebalancing and, and that the narrative will change. And the other piece of the, the whole thing that is very, very important is that if we do see that sustained rebound in the real economy, then that means that central banks and governments have less money to spend. Uh, or they need to do less spending. So if that happens, then you see, uh, you know, the, the the idea of like unlimited stimulus sort of fading out, and and that could pull the legs out from underneath this uh, this massive rally that we're seeing. And do you see money getting more expensive? That central banks, that you know, as economies reemerge, that they might start really putting the pressure on on uh, interest rates. They already are. Uh, so you're already seeing ten-year uh, yields rising quite sharply. Um, and the idea of inflation is sort of percolating out there. So the concern, I think, right now is whether we're going to see inflation in things like uh, like commodities um, that you know could potentially go up quite a bit from where we are. If we do see all of that uh, come to fruition, then you potentially see uh, central banks beginning to taper and step back. Uh, if so, um, then a lot of the assumptions undergirding this whole rally are uh, are going to be challenged. Ooh, it's going to be bumpy. Do you did you ascribe the uh, the theory of we're about to come into the roaring twenties? That that's kind of out there right now. Yes, I do actually, <laughs> but uh, in a bit of a different way. I think we will see extremely vol- volatile markets and and potentially a lot of wealth destruction. But uh, unquestionably, I think this last year and a bit have been uh, a huge boon to global innovation levels. So I think we've we're accelerating in the use of technology and and. You know, ultimately, the thing that improves lives for everybody on the planet uh, is technology and the trade of ideas. Um, and so, you know, I think I think we are on the cusp of something really, really great. Carl, great to have you on. Thank you so much for the perspective. I appreciate that. Thank you very much for having me. Uh, that is Carl Scamato, who is the chief market strategist at Cambridge Global Payments, talking about the surge in Bitcoin. Has it gone over 60000 yet? No. No, it has not. But many people think that it will go over 60000 by the end of this week. That's the value of the cryptocurrency. And as I mentioned, it has already gone up more than 300% just last year. That's not factoring in the latest run-up, which has been driven by these tweets and announcements from Elon Musk. But here is what I want to tell you right here. This is important. Because this comes from the Canadian Anti-Fraud Center, the CAFC, the CAFC, the CAFC wants to remind you 
that fraudsters are seeking to benefit from the growing interest in cryptocurrency. Quote, data breaches, thefts, exit scams, and frauds tied to initial coin offerings have all been documented in 2020. So watch yourself. If you're the bathroom investor, if you're the kind of person who's sitting at home with your laptop and you're on those trading sites and you're just like, I pile it all in. Just be careful. That's the podcast for today. Don't forget the Alan Carter Show weekday starting at noon.